It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, my guest is Miles Harder, CEO and co-owner of Dynamic Lifecycle Innovations. In 2007, he recognized a need for electronics recycling and founded Dynamic Recycling. Through innovation and constant refining of services, he has helped grow the company to a full-service electronics and materials lifecycle management corporation specializing in IT asset disposition, electronics recycling, legislative compliance, data security, and logistics. Harder recently received the Wisconsin Small Business Person of the Year Award from the U.S. Small Business Administration. Miles Harder, welcome into the corner office. Yeah, thanks for having me today, Brent. Ah, great to have the conversation, and uh, we're we're doing this back to back. We met for the first time yesterday. Normally, we do our planning calls a little bit ahead, but I'll, with all of us uh, kind of in the con in the, in the context of this crisis and all that's going on in the world, I was so pleased, Miles, that you're able to find time in your schedule. Uh, I know that you're in an essential business in the environmental services that your company provides, and I'm looking forward to hearing a little bit more about that. But we always like to kind of start uh, in the early years. Uh, tell me a little bit about you know where you grew up and what your early family life was like. Yeah, you bet, Brent. So um, again, my name is Miles Harder, born and raised in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and still live here all but probably about three months of my whole life. Uh, I, uh, I'm i the oldest of nine in my family. Oh so my gosh, nine kids. And, <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of a crazy time growing up. There's always yeah. something going on and I mean, I got over uh, about 130 immediate cousins. So, I mean, there's always something going on. So, it's... Awesome. What about mom and dad? What did did, did dad do or did dad do as you were growing up? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, growing up, I mean, my parents are strong Christians Mm. and also disciplinarians growing up. uh, So, they were, you know, I had a, I say overall, a you know, real strong childhood. Uh, you know, growing up in the church, mom mom and dad were believers. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, uh, but also it was, how do you say this? My parents were always more, Hey, we're going to be parents first and we're going to be friends second. Mm. We're not here to maybe be your best friend. We're here to make sure you're turned out decent. So, I mean, we're always, I mean, they work both worked really hard and that's kind of how we were raised our whole life. I mean, uh, even as a kid, I mean, I had four different jobs, at least the way I view it. I wow. mean, you had schoolwork, 
And then you'd have your jobs around the house because when you got that many brothers and sisters, you got to be able to chip in. <laughs> All right. Uh, and then uh, we always had a paper out we had to do every Tuesday. Yeah. And then yeah. my dad's always been self-employed since the day I was born. So oh, okay. Uh, always what kind been. of work did he do, Miles? Oh, he's had a few businesses over the years. Yeah. He's had a gas station. He's had a number of apartments uh, for about 26 years ago. He started back up with my uncle, and then my uncle sold out a trash hauling company. And oh. uh, our family is actually the fourth generation, and now our uh, kids are the fifth generation. So, got it, got it. Well, I'm getting a little bit of uh, uh, how the inspiration and the right recycling part of the business has come to you. So, I'm sure we'll get to that later. But boy, boy one in nine kids. So you were the oldest. What was the age gap between you and your youngest sibling? Uh, my youngest brother, Asa, is 13 years old. So Wow. Wow. Big gap. Yeah, all and, from one parent, set of parents. Yeah, so. yeah. And I suppose being the first one, um, probably you went through some of the toughest years with mom and dad, teaching them how to be parents, right? When you got that many uh, brothers and sisters, I think uh, some days my mom probably got frustrated with us fighting constantly and making <laughs> messes and not listening all the time. And you can only have so much patience. So uh, I remember a few times when the patients had run out. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. And and mom, of course, focused on being a mom and still is, I guess, right? She still has kids at home. Wow, yeah. what an incredible life. And um, who were some of your early inspirations? Maybe things that you remembered from dad or mom growing up, or perhaps a, a coach or an outside teacher. Do you remember back in those early years, folks that had an imprint on you? Yeah, I think, you know, besides, you know, Jesus, of course, I mean, being the ultimate servant leader and kind of our all of our families, both my wife and my side of the family, that's mm. God, family, and then work. Third. Yeah. So that's how we try and make all of our decisions in our life in that order. Um, but yeah, besides God, I mean, my parents, you know, obviously, I think have a big part in how you are shaped as an individual, positively mm. or negatively. And, uh, you know, my mom was, like I said, she was always pretty strict about getting your stuff done and just keeping <laughs> after everyone and stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, keeping the uh, house clean. Boy, I can't imagine with all the kids running around, homework everywhere. I would dad, say trying uh, would be the big one there. <laughs> yeah. You said dad uh, had some entrepreneurial business. What, you know, w were you involved in those businesses too? Did you get you know, part of the, uh, the work workload, so to speak, as you grew up or were, were there things that were more, you know, he was involved with solely? Yeah. I mean, besides my mom having us do the paper out every Tuesday and putting right. that money away, I mean, I always loved working growing up. I mean, maybe some people do and some don't, but I, I, I don't know. I just had a good time. My dad's gas station growing up was a block away from our house. So nice. whenever we got bored, we'd ride our bikes over there and <laughs> hang out with him or work for right. a while. And I mean, business has just been a part of our family tradition. Almost. I got a lot of uncles and aunts on my dad's side that have owned businesses. So you talk about it at family events. And sure. I remember as a kid going out to breakfast and my dad getting advice from different business leaders mm. or going to their office when I'm you know, five, seven years old and listening on conversations. I mean, my dad would drive plow once in a while to help out my great uncle or drive dump truck, drive garbage <laughs> truck, you know, so it's kind of a part of who we are. Yeah, I mean, growing up. And I think another thing that as a kid that always made a difference is my dad would always put in a lot of time working alongside of us. So, I mean, right. uh, he'd, he'd always give us a lot of unfound freedom. 
So like, for example, he'd let us drive skid loaders or like in our yard or lots, he'd let us drive garbage trucks and pickups and, you know, as teenagers, uh, I presume, right? Uh, yeah. And not even (laughs) barely. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I mean, I remember at our gas station, there was a Saturday one time and I would work overnights a couple of times with my dad during the summertime and he wanted to do something on a Saturday. So I was like 12 years old and he had me checking people out at the gas station because someone didn't show up. And I I remember specifically one time there's a line of like eight people long because they all wanted to go on the river and they had alcohol. So I'm just sitting there (laughs) with a bunch (laughs) of upset customers. So he's put us in the business really young and kind of given us a lot of freedom to do, you know, whatever we want, just make mistakes and learn from them, which I think has helped with a lot of resilience and stuff. Were you a good student in school, Miles? Uh, No. (laughs) (laughs) Good at the things you enjoyed, I presume, right? Yeah, I would say I was a C student on average. I mean, average at best. So I always had a hard time. I love learning and reading, but I never enjoyed reading things that I didn't want to learn and read, if that makes sense. Were you involved in outside, you know, activities like sports, music, theater, other than, you know, obviously the entrepreneurial things that seem to be a real important part of your growing up? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, we always seem to try something new. It always seemed like we're always learning or trying new things. So, I mean, I've right. been in volleyball, softball, baseball, wrestling in high school, football, uh, tennis. So it's, yeah, I guess we still, you know, ride dirt bikes and stuff. So I right. mean, hunting, fishing, trapping. So, yeah. Kept you busy. Did, uh, was college ever on your radar screen? Was that something that, you know, you and your parents talked about, uh, as you, you know, went through your high school years? I think our parents have always encouraged us to go to college. Uh, yeah. I went to three different colleges for about a semester each, and yeah. uh, I didn't really enjoy any of them, to be honest. Uh, right. And uh, I still work with my dad all but when I moved away for a little while uh, for one semester. But other than that, uh, never graduated college and just, I mean, try and just continually learn, though. I mean, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I probably read for a half hour, 40 minutes this morning, so. Right. Now, Harder's, I assume, was your was your dad's business now, or was that a cousin or an uncle? I know you were involved in that from back around 2000 or so. Yep, yep, that's my dad. I sold yeah. out my interest in that at the end of 2015, but they uh, have probably about a little over 100 people, probably 125 people between wow. uh, uh Northern Wisconsin and then Lacrosse. Now, what is that business so today? That, that was about recycling. 20 years or so ago you were involved, right? Back in around 2000 until 2015. Uh, I started in, yeah, 2001 yeah. when I graduated high school uh, and uh, was an owner until 2015. Now, was that is that still the, uh, the, the gas station business or were there other businesses at that time? My dad sold his gas station business, I think, when I was 13. Okay. Uh, so, uh, and he started the trash hauling business back up in 94. So not even sure exactly when that was, right. but then he went back. He's basically in trash hauling his whole life, except for maybe five years. And every morning going with my grandfather and hauling garbage every morning. So he's been in his blood for a long time. It's a business that's always been and will always be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's very true. Very reliable about that. And what was your role there as vice president? Uh, yeah, I mean, I just started at the bottom painting containers. And then when I turned 18, hauling garbage and pretty much doing every type of route, 
helping keep things going and doing sales and, you know, then got into the office and started getting involved in some other areas there and uh, became an owner after five years. And uh, my dad was gracious of giving us, you know, if we grew the company beyond normal, he, we'd get a certain percentage of the ownership, nice. which happened. So yeah. uh, it's given an opportunity, which was nice. Now you stayed involved in that while you founded uh, Dynamic. So tell me a little bit about the thinking behind getting that started back in 07 and, you know, the, the concept of the company and how it grew out of uh, what you were doing at Harders. Yeah. Um, Dynamic, like you said, started in 2007. I was working at Harders and we had some customers started asking about electronics recycling. And I started doing some research to try and find a vendor and honestly couldn't seem to mm. find a good vendor oh. uh, that seemed to have fair prices, uh, good service, and did things right. seemed like we could find two, but not all three. Right. And so after going to a conference, I mentioned to my dad, just from all the points that I'm getting, there seems like there's a real opportunity yeah. here. Everyone's growing in the double digits, and uh, you know, some of them don't really seem to know what's going on completely, and some do, but I think there's a real opportunity. and. Him and my sister have always been really supportive and family has in general. And they said, yeah, let's think it's a great idea. Let's give huh. it a shot. So that was about it. Yeah. We started on up. And now, did you, did you start it? President. Did you start dynamic with, with uh, a sibling or two or was your dad involved? Uh, actually. So my dad, sister, and I, uh, were all owners. Okay. Like we were in Harders and then, uh, Heard our president we had hired on, and then after so many years, he became an owner as well. Okay. Uh, but and then after the first two years, I'd come over to kind of help because Kurt was had a lot going on, and to help divide the responsibilities and get us to profitability. And I just really enjoyed it. Yeah. I got eight, again, I got eight brothers and sisters, and my dad's ultimately in charge, <laughs> you know. And uh, it was fun just because uh, get to try a lot of new things where, you know, it's kind of a group thing when you got other family members and your dad. So, uh, I ended up staying over here and, uh, guess never looked back. Yeah. That's awesome. And you've been about 14 years in business now or going on that. How many employees today? A little over 300. Wow. Wow. That's great. And, and what territory do you cover? Uh, the world. <laughs> <laughs> that's a pretty big territory. I love it. No. It depends on our segments. Yeah. Uh, directly, we recycle stuff in the Midwest, and I shouldn't say the Midwest. Uh, a lot more in the Midwest, and uh, but we get stuff throughout the U.S. And then on our ITAD side, we get stuff throughout the U.S. Uh, but um, at both our Nashville and Lacrosse locations, yeah. and then we have like a global network, so we can really service. Doesn't matter. There, I mean, we have several Fortune 500 customers. Wow. Uh, but we can serve them throughout the world through our partner network. And we have a lot of things that help differentiate us in that area. And then on the scrap side, we buy like circuit boards throughout the world, mm -hmm. from Middle East, wow. Northern Africa, South America, Mexico, Canada, on different islands. So, so it's uh, all B2B, right? You don't do any direct to consumer recycling. It's all directly with business. Exactly. Right. Right. Cool. Yep. And uh, contracts, long-term contracts set up with them. How, you know, how's the business structured? Yeah, it's a little bit of everything. Uh -huh. Obviously, we prefer contracts just so we have more solid business. But the 
markets change and fluctuate and not a lot, that's not hard to lock. It's hard to lock things in sometimes, especially on the uh, scrap side. Right. So, um, but yeah, we try and lock in as many contracts as we can. And have you found, uh, as you did with your initial research, that there's really just not a lot of competition there? Or have you found now that other people have kind of come in your tracks after you've been successful for so many years? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like anything. It's people more people under the marketplace and then the ones that are decent keep growing and then they keep squeezing the other ones out and then they try and squeeze each other out. Right. So, I mean, it's just it's normal. Yeah. <laughs> society american <laughs> competition thing right. you got to keep getting better each year so <laughs> i mean our actually some segments of ours uh have retracted like our recycling which is what we were founded on is retracted about 10 percent a really? year for a number of years now huh. just because you got like crt devices and computers and now you're going to more flat panels and even lighter flat panels right. than before and you're going more from computers to laptops and tablets and cell phones. So when you're paid per pound, uh, that happens. So, but we're pretty diversified and we continue to grow beyond that shrinkage. So we're, we're, we're doing fine. Now, uh, when you were at Harder's, obviously prior to, to starting Dynamic, were you managing people? Do you remember the first time you started doing so? Yeah. I mean, it's like anything you learn a lot when you're 18 and you've never really been through a lot of this stuff before. So, I mean, I it's kind of informal. I mean, when I started working for my father, we had myself and one other driver full time and besides my father and then two part time people, you know, so and now they got a hundred and stuff. So you're kind of just learning as you go yeah. a lot of times when it's smaller. But uh, I think at the beginning, it was more we didn't have an org chart officially sure. set up. Sure. And you know, we had sometimes several people telling the same person what to do, which can be frustrating. Right, and, right. and you got to learn organization. And like I said, your organizational chart. And we, you know, we're just in the early stages when we were starting to grow to build out more systems and structure to that. Uh, and then obviously there's just the leading thing in general and people skills. And, you know, I think my dad's role, which we continue to carry is treat people the way you mm, want to be treated. Yeah. I think that goes a real long yeah, way in leadership yeah. and is also biblical. But um, beyond that, obviously, there's it's something you never master. You can always work on and I continue to do that. All so right, Cool. And uh, I imagine probably when you first started managing people, a lot of them were older than you were, right? Yeah. Did that present I, mean, I guess when you're 18 or 19, you can play, you can uh, plead the fifth or whatever it is a little more often with, you know, I didn't know that, right, uh, but right. you know, after a while they start to catch on. So what were, what were some but, of those early, early leadership lessons that you took away? Miles? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, well, I mean, I think the number one thing that we continue to go back to is hire good people. I mean, so important. if you have people that aren't very good, your life can be a real bear. <laughs> I mean, but if you got good yeah. people and you train them properly, right life can be a heck of a lot easier. So I think that's probably a real big one. I mean, being organized, having a plan, uh, preparing for the future. I mean, I don't know, I guess there's so many of them. Yeah. Well, you know, obviously we, we talked a little bit about this yesterday and I think you've structured your organization where you do a lot of promotion from within, right? Bringing people up through the ranks. Is there any kind of special approach that you do so i mean for example do you you know train people throughout the organization in different jobs kind of like what you did at harders uh or how do you kind of develop that that talent pool for more senior um, level positions in your organization 
Yeah, I think this is something where I want to be like a, a GE of old, where there's so many people oozing out of the organization. You have a hard time keeping them all contained, so to speak, because they want to grow so much. And so I think we still got work to do, but I still think we do a really good job. I mean, about a year and a half ago, we hired a director of learning development. So we're building out a lot of programs to be able to build for the future. And so we're, you know, starting some different programs or have started a while ago. It depends on which one it is, like on the job training for new hires Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. emerging leaders program and also, we're looking at building out a supervisor training program, and awesome. we have like our Tuesday leadership, and we have book club, and we have mentors internally, and so I mean, there's all kinds of things where you know, there's obviously classes that we encourage people. We give people five hundred dollars a year for any books or anything nice. they want to do for continued development, and then we give money beyond that as well if people want to go for education that's directly related to our field or not. Mm. Uh, So that way, you know, just to encourage that continuous development. Continuous learning. Yeah. Awesome. And and what about um, with regards to kind of your your core values? You have a a stated core value, mission statement. You know, how how does Jesus get into the picture? (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, for for me, I guess just the way I was raised is, and Kurt, our president, was raised, and my brothers and sisters is, again, treat people the way you want to be treated. Uh, and I think that's how we try and live every day, you know, and I shot out six emails yesterday for people living our core values and how proud I was of Mm. them. And, you know, I think just little moments like that to ask people how their day's doing. If someone's sick, I reached out to someone two days ago because they weren't feeling well and they had something going on. So, I mean, it's just constantly, I mean, it's just constantly loving on people and caring about them. And how do you more systemize that? systematize that and make it through your leadership experience to make sure everyone gets the same experience and also that uh maybe love and that culture how do you make sure when there's new people that come in that they um get up to speed of the expectations and just having that vulnerability and empathy and just that general concern for other people and i think we do a pretty good job of it and you know, we're certified great place to work and we constantly have good feedback on our engagement surveys and stuff. But to me, it's still not good enough. I mean, I think <laughs> everyone should reach their full potential every day and we should be treating every person just like it's their own kid where we're giving them plenty of opportunities to grow and learn. And right. if they have tough times, we can come alongside there them and be there for them. And, you know, everyone always has high trust and high integrity and you know, I mean, overall, I think our company does a really good job, but I think, you know, I think you always want to be shooting for, you're not going to hit perfection, but you always want to be shooting for it. Well, you know, that recognition and showing that your care is so important. I would say that's a very common trait of many of the CEOs that uh, we've had on the show. And, you know, taking that extra effort, it means so much. You know, some some folks think you could just throw money at people and they'll be happy, but uh, it's really not about that, is it? No, I mean, money, I think they usually say is like fifth on the list, you know, and uh, I think there's a lot more to it. Are you making a difference, you know, to have opportunities to grow? And most of the time people leave, they fire their direct leader. And that's kind of what I went back to earlier. How do we make it more systematic 
on expectations and measuring that to make sure everyone's getting a good experience every time. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important. Miles, I've recently heard it said that it can sometimes be uncomfortable for a CEO to have your answers questioned rather than your questions answered. <laughs> have you been in that situation before? And if so, how do you handle that? When I first read that, I was like, I just started laughing and I guess I read it the second, third times I started laughing. And, um, it's sometimes as leaders, people see success and, you know, uh, pride is, you know, the beginning of the fall. So, you know, which is also biblical. And so it's a matter of, you always got to be constantly improving and getting better. And I think sometimes as, uh, a CEO, you can have that pride factor sometimes of, oh, I've been successful or this has went well. But if you really want to be good, I think you got to have your people challenging you constantly and you got to create an environment when someone calls you out that I think this is a bad idea, you know, or there's a better way. Or I think, you know, you're on the island here. You you know, your first natural reaction is when someone tells you you're Mm -hmm. wrong or gives you constructive feedback is to get defensive. But the real thing we should do is be smiling and thanking them. And in the moment, that's not easy, but I always try and reinforce that by sending a separate note or pulling someone aside afterwards. And I mean, I don't do it every time, but general thumb to make sure that people know, Hey, it's a trusting environment. And those things can be said because that open creates an open environment. Again, I trust to me is like absolutely critical on a business. If you have low trust, it's like, you're not going to move fast. And whenever someone's new, I tell them, don't try and change the world in the first three months, just (laughs) slow down, build relationships, build trust, and you're going to move a lot faster long-term. So yeah, yeah, I guess any leader that says they don't have people challenging them or like that, I would seriously consider their longevity of their business or their personal role. <laughs> yeah, no, you're I don't right. Know how to be I mean, any more straightforward. Humility goes a lot further than big egos, right? Oh Part- yeah, particularly as a leader, because you'll you know you'll just shut people up if uh, all they think is what you want to hear is what. <laughs> They want you to tell them versus, uh, you know, truly questioning that. So good. good. Well, I'm glad. I think one that. thing I'm blessed with too is to have a good wife. And <laughs> I think closest voice wife, of God we have, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very true. Uh, and she'll always keep me grounded. She's very smart. She's hard driver herself. And it's like, she's going to, call me out if you know i'm not doing something i should or treating someone fair or anything else so i mean you know sometimes we have blind spots and it's good for people to be able to challenge you as well so i mean uh i get that on a daily basis thankfully (laughs) (laughs) how long you've been married miles uh 2012 so actually our anniversary is uh less than a week coming up any children yeah, three kids, three kids. Uh, six, four, and two and a half months. All right, excellent, cool, great, great young family. How would you say your leadership style has evolved over time? You know, going back to those first years with, with Harders, you know, 18, 19 years old to where you are now and, you know, running a fairly large organization. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> we can I spend mean, a whole podcast like, on that, I know, but give me yeah, the high points. <laughs> I mean, I think when you're 18, it's like, you're just trying to figure things out. I mean, I remember, you know, having more free time by getting a route done and asked my dad, Oh, can I go and sell? And I don't know how to do it. I've never sold, but sure. You know, so that's kind of the whole business in general, as you learned a lot of the basics, 
but you got to learn some of these new things on your own. And that's kind of leadership as well as, I mean, it's just being an individual contributor and being able to learn on your own and be a self leader and be able to motivate or be a leader just as an individual contributor. And then you start to lead through a team directly. And mm. then you start to lead through other leaders. Yeah. And, you know, then at my level where there's, you know, could be four or five levels down, it's like that whole, how do you build a structure that's systematic? And then you have to think more from a strategic position of, you know, what are those key things that have made us successful or that can make us better? And then how can we make that systematic throughout? And that's mm. a big phase that we're going through right now is, yeah, yeah. you know, just planning even more into the future and making that more systematic. So, and I think early on is maybe I was a hard driver. I still drive, of course, but right. I think when you get good people around you, you need to shut up more and you need to listen <laughs> more. I always like the saying you have you know, two ears and one mouth for a reason. That's right. That's right. That's not always easy for me to do, but I mean, <laughs> it's like a lot of times just shutting up and people, you hire people better than yourselves. You just have to let them see it through. And a lot of times they'll surprise you with better things. And so I think true. that's been good to like when I was away from Harders for a while, like seeing, you know, other, my sister, or other people that when I would maybe be pushing something so hard and then all of a sudden I step away and then it gets done better when I don't really push my opinion too much. So <laughs> Those I are good lessons to like, learn, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you got to be more patient sometimes. Yeah, no question. How do you decide um, if it's time to micromanage someone or, or, or stay out of their sandbox, so to speak? I mean, everyone's probably got a different perspective. Mine personally is this. When I first start leading someone, I have like, micromanager a short leash on everything mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. and then it's hey you know here's your office here's your phone you know here's your email because <laughs> they don't know anything and then all of a sudden as you start going you build that trust in a relationship you know let's just say someone has 10 silos of strengths and weaknesses or competencies in their roles some they're going to be like a nine or an eight Right. or a 10 and some they're going to be like a three or a four. So as you build that trust and they do a good job, it's like, I'm going to extend that leash or yep. cut it or whatever. Yep. And they're a nine or a 10. I'm going to look to them for advice or leave them alone on the areas <laughs> that they're right. really not doing the best job or they have, you know, maybe if something needs to get done by a date and they've dropped the ball in the past and they are very organized, it's like, I'm probably going to keep after a more on critical items until they, you know, come back and prove that, hey, they can be trusted with some of these things and come through on their word with critical dates. So, uh, but ideally, I think as a leader, you're always trying to grant the max amount of trust and you're always trying to take those threes or fours and get them to at least sixes or sevens. Yeah. I mean, so, not everyone's going to be an eight or a nine in every category, but at least get them to a five. So, um but so, yeah, I mean, ideally, you don't want to micromanage people or they're going to go nuts and leave, right? But I mean, <laughs> in the beginning, if you just, oh, I don't want to micromanage people, so I'm not going to even train them or put the time in or show them the ropes, that's not right either. And I think right. people appreciate that in the beginning until they get comfortable and they're competent. You know, building a company culture is super important, particularly as a founder CEO. And, you know, you've been in business 15 years now. What are your thoughts on on building a company culture? And, you know, what's kind of unusual or unique about Dynamic? 
Um, well, I think the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, the values and the mission of the company and still live them. Uh, and I yeah. think that's something we really work hard at. I mean, in hiring and reviews, whenever we're in meetings, we have them try and be posted in every office and every room so we can read and point to them when we're making tough decisions. Someone is not making it. We have to have tough conversation. It should that's always true. go back to our values. We have our core value spotlights where we call people out in a positive way when they go above and beyond living our values or our mission. So, I mean, I think just constantly living it and reinforcing it as a leader. Mm. I think it, you know, it starts with leadership. You got to practice what you preach. So that's an important piece. I mean, do you reprimand people to go? I mean, it's one of those things with us is, you know, lying, cheating, cheating, stealing, <laughs> sexual harassment, things like that can be black and white. You know, it's like, okay, that's not working. We got some real problems here, but we kind of treat the same situation with our values. If right. someone's not living our values, it's like we're not going to sit there and just let them treat someone like crap. Or if they're arrogant, it's like they're going to it's going to continue to get nipped in the butt. And they, we expect people to constantly be improving until they get to a satisfactory level. And right. if we see it stagnate for too long, go backwards. Then we have to look at a new role. And if they're in a new role, then we have to look at is this the right spot for you long term? But yeah. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to our six values, it's like those are things that. You know, I think that's what makes us unique is they always say, oh, everyone's so happy here and friendly and caring. And, and we're very like strict about that. And we've there's a lot of very smart people that, you know, we have not hired or we've had to let go because they it's their personal agenda gets in the way or they just don't want to live our values. And they're just you know, we're not going to settle for that. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, you've obviously, you've attracted some great people and, you know, recruiting against those values are important. But, you know, when you, when you personally interview folks, and I'm sure you're involved in a lot of that, and maybe it's the second or third interview because other folks are screening through the qualifications. What, what do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in and hire? Oh, I mean, it goes back to number one is our values and mission. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's like, if they don't hold our values and our mission, it's like, or I don't think they can get there. It's, you know, the red yeah. box. It's that red not, box, yeah. So then it's like, we're done. Uh, beyond that, I mean, for me, and the, I guess that that one goes with one of these three, but there are always three things that I always try and look at is, one, the cultural aspect, so their character, trust, integrity, mm. resourcefulness, you know, uh, frugality, kind of all of those uh, pieces that are important to us. Right. Like I said, our values and mission. The second one is for me is like their drive or their work ethic. Do they work hard? Do they work smart? Um, you know, are they results oriented? Are they going to get things done? Um, and then I think the third one is the technical skills. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, do they have the technical skills to do the job either in our industry or in manufacturing or, you know, if it's accounting or whatever the case might be, uh, do they have the technical skills that we need? So those are the three areas that, and there's a lot more to those three areas, but that's the big ones. important to cover. Great. Well, Miles, you've been very, very generous with your time. Thank you. And we always have one last question we ask all our CEOs. And that's what kind of career and life advice would you give someone maybe 10, 15 years behind you? 
you know, that maybe has their eyes on the corner office for the company they work at, or, or maybe wants to branch out from another family business and, uh, you know, be an entrepreneur, entrepreneur themselves. What would, what would you tell that uh, younger self of yours or, or maybe a younger brother <laughs> or sister that would look to uh, do something like that longer term? Oh, I think advice. I mean, first, at least for me, I think this is super important is integrity or doing the right thing. Mm. Like you only, you know, for our family, we think eternal. <laughs> and right. also it's like your name is, you know, worth so much. So doing the right thing all the time. And in our industry, there's so many ways to cut corners, but I think, I think honestly that good people do finish first a lot. And if you don't do the right things, you're going to get, it's going to come back and bite you. I mean, and even our industry, we see it like every month, someone won't do the right things and yet they keep doing it. So I guess that's the first thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. Other things would be, hmm. I mean, you got to take your life out of balance sometimes to bring it back into balance. Mm. So if you're going to start a company or anything, you're going to have to work your butt off and it's going to, you're going to want to quit, you know, (laughs) and you're going to lose a bunch of money. You're going to be paying out of your savings to go to work for years, which is very frustrating. Yeah. Um, And you might not make it at the end. (laughs) I mean, what is four to five businesses don't make it up to five years. So, I mean, you have to be willing to put it on the line and, you know, or only do it part time and have a backup plan until you, you know, make it you know, kind of the bullet, bullet, cannonball approach, start small until you know you can make money at it. Right, and you can quit right. your job and go bigger. So it's not such a big risk. So I don't know. And then I guess as if you make it and you're more successful, I mean, to me, I think some of the bigger things are is it's a lot more than money. I mean, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, I could, my wife and I could sell and not have to work anymore in our lives. But one that's not biblical either, the idle hands of the devil's workshop, you know, and <laughs> whatever you do, work heartily, you know. So, right. I mean, I think it's important that we keep working and what can, at least for me and I think for our organization, it's what can we do to make a difference? And just, you know, for me personally, it's how can we spread God's love and be mm. an example to others? And, you know, for our company, it's more of, how can we make more of a difference, you know, and have a more humane place to work and for other, you know, that other people look up to. So, I mean, uh, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously it goes back to God, family and then work. So for me, it's like, God's still more important and I want to make sure our kids turn out a little better than us. So, I mean, trying to keep your priority state straight long-term, you might have to take it out of balance short-term, but I'll (laughs) still keep it in perspective. Generation after generation, right? That's what we hope to achieve. Yeah, I don't want to be the generation that's going to mess it up. <laughs> Miles, thank you so much. Uh, Miles Harder is CEO and founder of Dynamic Lifecycle Innovations. Really appreciate your time today and sharing your journey into the corner office. Thank you, Brent. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.